But everyone said, hey, Mark, you're crazy to do these places. We played them, we sold them all out. The Rainbow was sold out real quick, everywhere real quick. And they said, hey, they're that punk audience, my audience. I mean, it was three quarters Mark Bowden audience, um, a quarter damned, and it ended up 100% a rock and roll fan club, being a damned audience, a Mark Bowden audience, put them both together. Susie's a headbanger, she knew he's a punk rocker. Deborah was a zebra, which is my first hit in 1967. It's all, I mean, it's all related to, to violence in the mind, not in the body. And I just don't, I want to, I, I think punk's got to get away from all this, this terrible on the streets is all wrong. I want to tell you that, that what you have to do when you get a new wave band on the set is funk them up. You've got to go, be outrageous. Come on, come on, rip your knickers off. Do whatever you're going to do. If you've got it, show it. Welcome to another B-side of Pod Like a Hole. The B-sides are what lies between the album-by-album album dissections we do of David Bowie's entire discography. There's, there's so much to talk about that if you were just to rely on discussing the albums proper, well, you'd miss out on a lot of good discussion. Like tonight, where me, Stephen Chambers... And uh, the other man on the other end of the microphone here, uh, sir, what's your name? Eric Anderson. Eric Anderson. Yes. Uh, we will be your hosts tonight as we do a very casual brief, uh, to put it in corporate speak, 300,000 foot view of glam rock. Because uh, Eric and I, while we are both fans of some of the bands we're discussing to certain extents, Neither of us, despite being huge David Bowie fans, are uh, scholars of the genre. I, I'm, I guess I'm, I'll speak for myself, but Eric, I know that's true of you as well, correct? It's true. It's true. And we are really giving you guys a little – this is like kind of like a four-year information episode. We're doing a little bit of a dive into the history, but we are not historians. But we just felt like this genre needed to be touched on because we're about to talk about Ziggy Stardust. And um, – I just think it was such a cultural cultural phenomenon in the '70s that we 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 need to at least uh, gloss over it. But uh, Stephen, we're missing somebody. What's let, let's you know what we 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 are all, we're transparent with our listeners. You know, where's Mark? Well, I was thinking, I didn't know if I was going to bring it up to see if they would notice. If they didn't notice, you know, typically I'm ready to kick you off the show at any time. But I was thinking if they. If they didn't notice, then we'd just slowly phase Mark out. But uh, they're they're going to notice. Um, uh, dear listeners, I you might get a couple B-sides before we get to the meat of the Ziggy Stardust uh, discussion because we will not have that discussion without Mark. He is our captain. He is the uh, founder of this podcast. But um, I, I hate to say it, if you've listened to the Tin, Tin Machine episode by now, you should understand that it damn near broke up the band. Uh, that was the, the angriest we've ever been on the show. And um, the music that we had to discuss was just not that good. And we don't, like I've said, we don't like to be overly pessimistic about this. Why would we be doing it if we don't enjoy it? But Tin Machine was just, it was very tough. And um, he right now, he right now doesn't know if he wants to keep doing the podcast. Uh, we've, we've, we've had talks with him, Eric and I with him. Uh, I've talked to him on one on one uh, Eric's talked to him one-on-one. -on -one. I texted his wife. I asked her to talk to him one-on-one. -on -one, and Tin Machine was just too much. And so we're doing a little trial run here. Eric and I are going to 
Eric and I are going to see if we can do this by ourselves. We probably can't, but uh, listen, uh, we have no choice but to soldier on. We're not going to punish you because we rolled the dice and drew Tin, tin Machine in Mark's brain, like seeing some kind of HP Lovecraftian just void of doom and despair cracked his mind. And right oh. now, right now he's on break. I, you know what? I went and visited him today. And you know, like when you visit somebody in the hospital, oh, they look great. They look great. They're they're, they're really on the on the on the on the uh, up and coming. Uh, you know, whatever. But I, I he did not look good. He was he was cracked. He was cracked, and uh, um, it was it, yeah, it was miserable. And uh, it was all Tim Machine. He just kept talking about baby universe, and I just backed out of the room slowly. But on the way out, I saw a little twinkle in his eye as he pointed to the stars. And that just in my that that was a little glimmer of hope that he'll be back for our next regular episode. Yeah, I mean, if anything, I'm happy that uh, you know I uh, my my hair is not what it used to be, but his just will not seem to. Well, it did before. It didn't seem to to be thinning at all. And as we all approach forty, you know, you keep an eye on the other guy. And finally, I think Tin Machine did it. And when I visited him, I have to say. He's finally balding, so <laughs> sorry, sorry, best friend. But uh, listen, it was bound to happen eventually, and uh, you were betrayed by David Bowie. <laughs> it's true, it's true. So while Mark is recuperating, uh, we're gonna fill this in with a little, uh, a little uh, toe dipping into the genre of glam. Yeah, here, here's what we did, because like we said, unlike industrial music, unlike metal, unlike early zero zero underground hip hop, unlike weird uh, East Bay alternative music from the late 90s, this is not a genre that Eric and I can say we're experts in. So what we did was we picked five bands. We listened to an album that we thought would define them well, and uh we're going to talk about those albums. We're not going track by track. God, no. We'll briefly give us our, our opinions. We'll talk about the history of the bands as we know them. Uh, listeners, you probably know some of these bands better than we do. So you might be screaming at your iPhones or your Androids or your iPods or your desktops. Uh, but we're not going to be able to hear you. You can write us later and tell us that we're terribly wrong. That's fine. We're not going to be offended. In fact, we, we encourage anybody that knows more about glam rock than we do to, to, to step forward and and let us know uh, some great bands we're missing. Yeah, uh, this, but is good. this is uh, this is definitely painting painting the set to uh, set the stage for Ziggy Stardust. Yeah, this this is glam rock known as a couple glam rock through the prism of a couple of David Bowie fans that have uh, owned a couple of these albums because they used to work at a used record store and they dicked around on the internet. That's this version of uh, the history of glam rock. So this is now not. I- we're not we're not Ken Burns, folks. Not this time. <laughs> I, I think let's start with a textbook definition of glam rock. It's really not far off from what I thought. And um, what's what's that? And then what did you uh, think? And then how did your wife correct you? Because she knows more about it than both of us. Um, I think it it falls in line, and, and it's kind of like it's kind of what I thought it was. I mean, it's it's started in the seventies. It's very um, it's it's rock music. And I'm not going to say it's it's simple rock music, not at all, because it's um, a lot of these guys are these like um, artsy avant-garde performers. Um, 
but it's not like the long extended 10 minute like bluesy rock or proggy rock um uh, yeah i'd say there's there's more there's more blues in some of it than there is prog but it definitely yeah. was a uh, with an eye towards the the prog rock explosion these guys said you know what let's remember that uh, rock and roll should have some kind of pop sensibilities that's right and so yeah it is poppy usually a really good hook um uh, and I would say that the topics of songs are usually about, you know, uh, the the scene life, and that that kind of like ties into glam. There, you know, there's a there's a scene, there's a culture, and the songs are a lot about the people that live in or on the outskirts of that culture. Um, but really, glam rock is more about the look, the aesthetic. You got your feathered hair, you've got your boas, you've got your uh, makeup and androgyny um, playing like really like fucking with the man on gender roles, which in the 70s, um, whether or not they were playing into stereotypes or not, I think it's fun to watch the mainstream squirm a little bit. And um, they were having fun with that. Uh, androgyny, uh, flamboyant clothing, um, like just blatant sexuality as they played. Um and uh, that's and so, yeah, it's as much about the look as it is about the sound. And as we'll it, talk about, there's a wide range of sounds. Yeah, no, I'd say it's more about I know that might be doing a disservice, but the five bands that we picked that we'll get to in a second, they'll, the main thing connecting them is the look more so than the sound. And that's pretty cool, actually, that I, I think that when you do think of glam rock, you might think of riffs and party anthems. And to an extent, that's true. But I think there's a lot more going on here with the varied styles of music that we're going to talk about. But the look, for the mo- most part, is the same. It's, uh, like you said, boas and glitter and makeup and platform shoes and uh, a whole bunch of stuff that, you know, later Kiss made popular. But these guys sure. kind of started it. And, and also a lot of uh, – although they were not progressive in sound – some of the similar themes of outer space or wizardry and that kind of stuff does come into play. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was going to say like a lot of the songs themselves are pretty like quick and dirty, like two to four minute songs for the most part. But, um, the lyrical content, often these bands were making concept albums. Often they were telling, uh, stories of, you know, other worlds or other, uh, <laughs> other dimensions or magic or, or, or the devil. Um, so a lot of, uh, yeah, a lot of fun, a lot of fun. And once again, a lot of it's probably prodding a, a more puritanical mainstream, which is fun. So. Yeah, and, and, and one guy who kind of touched on that a little bit, uh, I mean, uh, hell, his, his first or one of his um, collaborators named himself after a Lord of the Rings uh, character was Mark Bolin, who is the father of the whole movement. I don't think anybody will argue with that. He was a contemporary of David Bowie. We've brought him up on the show before. Everybody's heard of T-Rex, I'm sure. Everybody knows Bang a Gong. Uh, you've heard of Mark Bolin before. I don't mean to be bold about the I hold your hand. Well, she ain't a witch, and I love the witch twitch, uh-huh. And um, the way he, he was even on a... What David Bowie song was he on? A, he was either on a, a early version of a song or. Uh, yeah, I think he's like in the background on the uh, me, like Memories of a Free Festival or something like that. Re- yeah, around really that time. Yeah, yeah, he and uh, he and uh, Tony Visconti, best pals. You know, Tony couldn't tell which horse he wanted to back at that point. <laughs> he did. Yeah, Tony Visconti did do a couple of albums with the uh, Bullen and T Rex, and um, they they started out. He 
he was in like a lot of these guys around the times in the 60s he bounced around so many bands um his name was originally uh mark feld he changed it to mark boland later kind of influenced by david for some reason mark boland to him david he was a big bob dylan fan and boland dylan kind of there kind of see that uh and he was a guitar player he was a poet he probably he was a singer songwriter all-around musician and he was one of the first guys that started out kind of doing the 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 early music to me kind of sounds psych folkish and then he decided to put a cape on and uh like his biggest album electric warrior plug in a little more and get a little bit more electric um i i eric what's your what's your history with t-rex i i i've owned electric warrior because i felt i was obligated to i bought it back when i worked at the the record store uh it's a good album i don't know it like the the back of my hand but uh how about you to go, go before tonight or this project rather uh were you a t-rex guy so yeah t-rex um when i worked at the record store I was kind of dipping my toes in the genre, but mostly it was Bowie and Lou Reed or Velvet Underground. But this album was always kind of floating there, so I would put it on often at work. Um, but I never went so far as to buy it and like suck it in at home, which I've done for this project tonight. But um, yeah, not a lot of history with them until you know, not a deep dive until now. Just kind of, it's very pleasant. It's very pleasant. It's got a good swagger to it, so I enjoyed working with it, but not a deep dive. Um, until uh until recently yeah no mark mullen was one of the first guys to really uh he he decided that he was going to start wearing glitter and and boas and and uh shoulder pads whatever else i mean the guy was about as big as dio but he, he he did this and then uh people were drawn to it and it's very interesting because the early Tyrannosaurus Rex stuff was a two-piece for the most part, and it really reminds me of something you might have heard in the mid-O's, you know, when the, the Hellas and the lightning bolts were going on. Not in sound, not nearly as aggressive, God no. I mean, there's 40 years between those types of music. But just that that hipster that hipster grabbing somebody near him and making the most of what he can with uh, what tools he has in I get that vibe from the early Tyrannosaurus Rex stuff. Oh, I could see, I could see them like fitting nicely into like the spoons of like indie rock mm-hmm. from the early aughts. Spoons a little more Americana, but with with that like banging cowbell kind of uh, um, T Rex sound. Yeah, and when they became T Rex proper, they started writing about partying more. And uh, the, the, the album that we we dove into was Electric Warrior. That. Any top 100 classic rock albums list probably has it on there. Uh, I liked it quite a bit. I think that album's more subdued than its reputation. Yeah. It's not a it's not a heavy rocking album. There's a lot of good. I, I listened to it late at night a few nights ago, and I thought it's actually a good late night album. It's a it's it's groovy. I mean, it's like you know, like your head will be nodding the whole time, but your like your your leg won't be thumping. Like you won't be rocking out in your room, but your your head will be nodding the whole time. It's it's a gro- yeah, and it's a groove album, but it's a subdued groove album. I I think um, there's that touch of reverb there to a lot of tracks, which I find in a lot of the. Uh, music we're going to discuss very reverby and right. um his, his voice i think he has a great voice he's not a great singer 
but I think he has a good voice, if that makes any kind of sense. The the Slider, which I thought was a better album, but we just yeah. we, off the top, we that's not the one we picked. I do think it's a better record. That's true. Um, that song, uh, Buick McCain, uh, Guns N' Roses covered it on this the Spaghetti Incident, actually. <laughs> That's a good I album. Like Jeepster, that, Jeepster is my 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 high my high song on on uh, on Electric Warrior. <laughs> yeah, Jeepster would be the second most well known track. Uh, yeah, the, I love the it. one I go to. There's a song on there called Monolith that I really dig. Uh, I think Monolith and Life's a Gas will give you a good two polar opposites of the the Boland sound. But uh, yeah, I, I do have to say if you do go and listen to Slider. And he has a few more albums after that. Unfortunately, he died uh, late late seventies in a car crash. Who knows what kind of uh, career the guy would have had? Um, one of those cut short before his time. The deals, right? And um, we talk about him all the time on the podcast because he and Bowie had a had an interesting friendship slash rivalry, which I, were, I always find interesting. They were frenemies. They were much like right. uh, the two men speaking right now on this podcast. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, the the slider that that album. Check that one out. That one, I. I I, I get a some of the songs with the slider. I feel like Jack White was influenced by them. Um, and then when you go back to the how I used to be in a two piece, that makes sense. Um, yeah, T Rex. There's your there's your brief overview. There you go. Uh, next, we're gonna spend some time on Roxy music. Uh, this this is a band that I think some people might associate more with art rock, but they definitely are part of the glam family. And I've spoken before on the podcast that it's a huge blind spot for me. This album, or I'm sorry, this the, this artist. I, I just remember my parents had the, the album of the uh, Avalon. Avalon, that guy. That's that, that's the one. Is that the one with the guy with the hawk? Yeah, Mordecai. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we've talked about this before. Yeah. And that album cover struck me, but I never listened to it. And I, I kind of think of like a sliding door scenario where I wish I would have popped it into the CD player because maybe that would have spun me down a path to where he would be one of my favorite artists because listening to the album I listened to for this, which is a For Your Pleasure, um, I was just every, almost every song, I was like, whoa, where was this all my life? I should have been a big fan of Roxy Music this entire time. But um, that being said, I'm going to take a back seat because Eric is much more uh, well-versed in all things Brian Ferry, including, I think, didn't you just see the guy? I just saw him two nights ago. Uh, but let's, let's, let's not act like I'm a pro here. Um, I was very much like you. My wife, Heather's a big Brian Ferry Roxy music fan. And the songs have kind of been around, and every time they've come on, I've really appreciated it. His voice is... It's, he reminds me – he doesn't sound like David Byrne, but you know how like David Byrne could sing – like if he was like heading some like indie rock band, it's quirky enough, but he can hit all the right notes and it's distinctive. You know exactly who's singing. Like that's Brian Ferry. Well, you know, um, who, he, you know who he really – I, I there, there, this cannot be an accident. Mm-hmm. Jello Biafra had to have been a Roxy Music fan. 
I can see that. Absolutely. Because they got the warbly, like when they hit a certain high, when, when Brian Ferry hits a certain high note, he starts warbling and it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Um, now what I always thought about, uh, Roxy music was, and I had primarily heard a lot of the Avalon album. It's one of Heather's favorites. And that was what he played live when I saw him among so many of his other hits. But, um, that was like later that was in eighties. And, um, uh, they were kind of like a lot of their stuff sounds somewhere in between like quirky talking heads and uh, yacht rock, like like uh, almost like a uh, like like soft rock, except there is just a sheen of synths, which you can credit to Brian Eno. I mean, I, I, he wasn't on the later albums, but he's on the first two. So um, and, th- and this and this is not this is a different type of uh, Brian Eno than you're going to get on the low uh, or I'm sorry, the Berlin Trilogy. Right. This is a. This is more. Uh, he's going for a fuller sound, not minimalistic. Right. Exactly. Like of, yeah. 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 Exactly. So he was credited in the band as being synthesizer and treatments so he was definitely like doing the atticus ross to brian ferry's uh trent reznor in, in roxy music um, and they started out in um the self-titled album in 72 and it was definitely glam rock like they had the look down they had they always had models on their album covers fashion was always part of their aesthetic um but they all came from art school i mean brian ferry got fired from teaching at an all-girls school, he was teaching a ceramics class, but he would just stop and just play, like, his music. <laughs> he was just playing his music yeah. in class. <laughs> he got fired for that. So uh, that's where he um, he went out. He bounced around a little bit. Did you know this, Steve, that Brian Ferry auditioned for King Crimson? No, but I am not surprised because... No, I'm sorry. I, there was another person named with last name Fripp on another. I'm sorry. No, no I, Brian, actually, I'm not, I'm not. I'm not surprised though because if you just uh, King Crimson was rotating people in and out of uh, the vocal duties for right. a while. Uh, by the way, unfortunately, I almost got to the point where I was going to be able to remain ignorant until it was too late. But so Eric goes to this Brian Ferry show and he sends he sends the uh, he sends me a photo of uh, his kids out front of the marquee. And I noticed on the photo, it said, uh, Brian Ferry tonight, King Crimson, September 6th and 7th. <laughs> and I I had no idea they were coming to the area. And unfortunately, you know, this King Crimson super fan, who, yes, I know they were on their, they're on their 50th anniversary tour. Last time I checked, there was no Nor- Northern California dates. Apparently now there is, but... Dad, dad of a three-year-old can't just bebop down to Berkeley next weekend. So, I, uh, I wish I would have never, never have known. What, what are you gonna uh, do? Well, okay. So, um, just getting back. Yeah, he auditioned for King Crimson, and and Robert Fripp said, "Yeah, your vocal style doesn't really work with what we're doing, um, but you're awesome." And so he kind of helped them get their label deal. So Robert, oh, so King Crimson, Robert Fripp is our big part of you know where they got, and their early work is as much art avant-garde rock art art rock as much as it is glam rock um but one thing they have in those albums is swagger and all of these bands we're talking tonight have swagger um and 
and that swagger gets him through that first album. But that second album, For Your Pleasure, that we're talking about now is, uh, is that really is something special. That's their second album? I didn't know. It wow. is. It's, it's their second they really, album. They, they really I, – I haven't listened to the first one, but the second one – is the first one with the one with the ladies on the cover? There's ladies on every cover. But okay. the first one is just is just Roxy music, and it's got a picture of one girl like sitting on a bed with a – like a, in her, in her uh, you know, night, nightly wear. Okay. I'm thinking of another one. Yeah. But uh, the one we listened to, For Your Pleasure. Yeah. It sounds so – like they figured out what they wanted to do in the second album then. It sounds fully realized to me. It's Absolutely. A, it's, a, it's a great front to end listen. I, the, very, very great record. Um, yeah. What, one thing that's cool about the first album, and I'll be off the first album, but uh, there's a song called like Remake, Remat, Re, uh, Remake, Remake, Remodel, Remodel. Um, which just – if you there's a live clip on YouTube where they're just shredding, and the saxophone – Brian Ferry and, and Brian Eno probably both loved using a saxophone like electric guitar. Just shredding. saw them it was no different like saxophone it was it was kind of silk stockings at some point kind of like john lurie crazy avant-garde jazz at some point and um brian ferry's got uh the girl that plays with uh johnny jewel from the twin peaks stuff he's mm. uh she's playing with him on this tour and she killed it she just she gets like spotlight every song and she just she just at some point she's just blowing and her hands are going crazy all over her saxophone and just it's it's amazing. So yeah, so if you like a good sax, yeah, it's good. <laughs> Was she on the return? Uh yeah, she played with uh Johnny Jewel. Uh I think some of their songs together are uh on on the return as like soundtrack pieces. No, she's not in the uh in the chromatics uh clip, but she I think she does a couple of the songs that are on the soundtrack proper. So anyways, she, uh that show was amazing. I had not low expectations, but it's just like, oh yeah, I like Brian Ferry. Like he's ahead of his time. He's his, you know, whatever. I knew, a, I knew probably six songs going into it. And I was like on the edge of my seat the whole time. I was like, this is a showman. He shows up, he's like eight feet tall in his like suit. He's playing keyboard or just singing while his band's going crazy. He's got two, he's got two like super soulful backup singers, um, a drummer behind a wall. Yeah. I think that is one thing that does come around in some aspects, a lot of these glam bands, uh, at least, uh, minimalized in the T-Rex stuff, definitely a big part of the, uh, Roxy music stuff and definitely a big part of the Ziggy album. And in the background of maybe some of, uh, Slade, uh, is actually in the background of even some of the New York doll stuff is a touch of soul. 
I think. Right. Absolutely. Um, but but I think Roxy Music brings it to the forefront. Uh, right. Some of some of that fifties uh, nostalgia soul, even. Right. And they were doing like the uh, think of like Toto's Africa, like some of the eighties rock bands toying with uh, you know kind of more world music. Like they did that on Avalon and uh, many years before. I, Heather always ex- described Roxy Music to me as like inventing. 80s pop and new wave like 10 years before it ever happened um so anyways i'm a big fan what's our what's our favorite song off for your pleasure the title track for me the words we use tumble all over your shoulder gravel hard and loose they're all night to lie with your yeah, for me, it's uh, every dream home has has heart has heartbreak. Uh, the title track knocked me on my behind. It is a it, it, it's it's a very beautiful sounding song. It is not poppy at all, really. I don't think. No, it's uh, kind of dark and mysterious. And then it goes into it's got a needle drop, for lack of a better term, and the song changes into another song. I always love it when songs do that. It becomes a completely different song. And it has an outro that is maybe 20 years ahead of its time. Uh, The outro is awesome. The outro you could find on any alternative noise acts albums today. Uh, So good. And uh, uh, my my song, Every uh, Dream Home, has, has heartbreak. I'd like to think so. Standards of living They're rising daily But home, oh sweet home It's only a saying From Bell I was actually, it was already on my mind Because I watched, um, I liked the show Mindhunters On Netflix um, And the new season opens with uh, the BTK killer doing some some shit to this song. And I'm like, holy fuck, what is that song? And, and my wife's like, oh, that's Roxy Music, dude. I've been telling you about them forever. <laughs> and it's because it starts with just just his voice, his very like fragile but effective voice playing over like Brian Eno's organs and synths as it builds. And it's very repetitive for like the first two minutes. And then it cracks into this shredding song for like the last minute. And uh, it's amazing. And then... Uh, yeah, they played that live. When they started playing that, I was like, oh, he did it. He did it. He's playing it. Even though they were, his intention was just to play Avalon live, but I think he played a lot of his hits in there as well, which I love that approach. Pick a good album and then throw your hits in. Oh, then, no, man. If you're, if you're going to do an album show, you got to you, you pepper in a couple other songs at the end yeah, for yeah. the folks that came. Yeah. Um, it was great. Did he, did Eno do double time? With him and Bowie, or did he leave one to do the other? So he only Eno was only on the first two albums. After For Your Pleasure, he was out. Okay. He was out. He he had creative differences with uh, Brian Ferry. He felt Brian Ferry was too uh, domineering, and um, he left. But they've they've dabbled, and back in like the uh, 2010s, they started recording together, and then it ended up not becoming a new Roxy Music album. Um, Brian Ferry used it for his next solo album, but. Uh, uh, Brian Eno is credited on two songs. So, I mean, it's like a very, 
it's also a very frenemy relationship, but uh, they do still every now and then have output. They were just inducted into the Hall of Fame and played and played together um, back uh, when the Cure was this year. So, excellent. Well, here we are once again. It's the shilling time, but this time around, it's not as much of a hat in hand. Hey, you want to throw a quarter in? Maybe a couple of dollars? No, my dear friends, as you may have heard, we're having trouble with poor Mark. Um, the Tin Machine episode, it broke the, it broke the poor boy. Uh, he's, uh, he's been in the institution, and he just could not quit saying, Baby Can't Dance. Uh, I, I, I'm not quite sure, you know, if we're going to get him back. But what I do know is that we, you know, Eric and I, we have our full-time jobs in the day. We're compensated fair enough, I suppose. But the bills for Mark's stay, because he's kind of, he's kind of a handful. I mean, he's a, he's a firebrand, that, that, that Mark, and they're charging us for... Uh, obscenities being shouted at all times a man that refuses to wear his pants he keeps loudly talking about the year 1984 and every time he does he he makes some gesture that I'm not even going to try to explain to you the staff is overworked Dio bless them they're doing their best so if you'd like to donate to the cause feel free and go to our Patreon at Patreon forward slash pod like a hole and help us spring Mark from uh, what's going on there. I mean, we can only, it's not, I don't think Tin Machine is curable. We can only hope to mitigate the damage. But we're going to do the best we can because we do love the dear boy. So the next artists we're going to talk about is if you're, for all the Quiet Riot fans out there, Slade. Um, Slade, interesting case. I've always been a, a very casual fan. Um, I first, I don't remember when I heard of them. When when I was, was when I worked in the record store, and I, I specifically latched onto them as a band that I knew more about than I did their actual music. And uh, shamefully, I will admit now, they were like one of those bands I would drop. Like, oh yeah, I'm a Slade fan, just to like let someone know. Well, I know my stuff even though I really didn't know their stuff. You know what I'm saying, Eric? Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know if I, I'm, I'm sure I have, uh, I'm sure I said, you know, I'm sure I, like that's when I'd say I like Tupac and Biggie. I'm a hip hop fan, <laughs> but I don't really Maybe. like Tupac and Biggie, <laughs> but I do say I like Tupac and Biggie. Did you hear that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got a mark, you got, is that a leprechaun over there? <laughs> yes. Got a, we're doing uh, Leprechaun in the Hood Part Four. Oh. Um, anyhow, no, the Slade—they—they they were uh, 
probably mo- the way I discovered them was just because, oh, Quiet Riots, Come On, Feel the Noise is a cover. That's how I learned of them. Um, did you have did did you have any any knowledge or, or just listen to them at all before the, the, this podcast? Stephen, I won't lie to you. I did not. I've never even heard of them. Well, maybe I did. Okay. And I did I, until you told me to listen to that album. That was it. For, that was the first one for me. Yeah. Now they've always uh, interesting enough in the UK. They're the most popular out of all the acts that we're talking about. They had like twenty wow. something hits. Uh, they were very well known in the early to mid seventies. And uh, they started out as a skinhead band. And uh, around 1971, they just said, hey, you know what? Uh, Platform shoes and zany outfits and growing your hair out is a good idea. And that's what they did. Well, Uh, let's, let's, for our listeners, when you say skinhead band, do you mean like the the Jamaica-influenced, like, oi-style British reggae? Yes, you know, wearing wearing your high waters and your uh, more – they were still a rock band, but just the way they looked – was a short hair, more of the look, short hair, boots, uh, you know, the, 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 the more of the, um, doesn't have the connotation that you would have with American history X. If you know. <laughs> no, no, no. The, uh, the, yeah, the UK skinhead kind of movement has nothing to do with a uh, race of gang. It was, it was based on the Jamaican, uh, the Jamaican immigrants there and started from like a reggae meets British pop kind of, uh, yeah. Now, yeah. Ha- having not listened to it, I can't tell you if the sound is what it sounds like, but right. uh, the look, the look is definitely yeah your your old style uh, oi skinhead type thing. Right. Uh, the 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 founders were <laughs> Naughty Holder, Dave Hill, Jim Leia, and Don Powell, and they were the band until 1992, and after that point, everybody kind of had their own version of the band, kind of like uh, Creedence Clearwater Revival does with uh their their different versions of credence um there's the different versions of the dead kennedys which if you don't have jello you don't have the dead kennedys if you ask me that's right and uh, it's, it's not the first time we'll bring up that uh, i think sweet who we'll talk about soon had a similar situation but uh yeah they went glam in 71 and out of the bands tonight they're the ones that lean the heaviest into the let's have a good time party time rock and roll <laughs> Uh, the way the way I when I listen to them, I imagine the Kool Aid guy be- bursting through the wall, and that's <laughs> that's that is Slade. <laughs> that's fair, right? That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, I always feel like the lead singer is always yelling at me, um, like he's just insisting I have a good time. And <laughs> uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of cowbells involved. There's a lot of stomping, some good guitar riffs. Uh, I think they're complex enough, though, to where there's more to be. There's more there than just having a party. Um, they always sound like they're smiling when they sing, but that doesn't mean they're they're ignorant. And the album we listened to was, uh, I believe it was just Slade. Yes, with a question mark. But the way they spelled it, even though their name is S-L-A-D-E, that album is spelled S-L-A-Y-E-D, question mark. And that was one of their things. They always spelled things wrong. Like, come on, feel the noise is C-U-M, feel the noise. Um, <laughs> so, you know, they have a song called Squeeze Me, Please Me. Squeeze is spelled S-K-W-E-E-Z-E. Uh, that that kind of thing. But I think the album, that album, Slade, with a question mark, is pretty solid. Eric, what did you think of it? So, I it was fine. This is my least favorite 
of the batch we listened to. Um, I, had, they, I, had a, I had a feeling. I, I just had something, something told me. You know, I, I'm the guy that's kind of like the turn your brain off and just rock out kind of guy, more so than you. Right. And out of what all we listened to, I think this is the one that's definitely that. Yeah, I, 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 um, it's, I would say to a certain extent it is dumb rock. I do think that there's probably something else going on in some of these songs. Um, the guy's got a raspy, ACDC type vocal delivery. There's definitely, uh, they're, they're, you would never mix the two up, but they're in the same orbit as ACDC. Right, right. And, and ACDC, though I respect and wouldn't besmirch anybody from enjoying, is not on my list. <laughs> it's just yeah, a little bit too meat and potatoes. I think what I, the stuff I like about glam is maybe some of the aesthetics, the swagger, and the uh, the nonsense avant-garde, and this is none of that. This is very stripped down, but it rocks, it stomps, it's got a good riff. Um, you know, that's cool. But you did send me a song today, <laughs> which must have been one of their 90s songs, which was uh Oh, yeah, wasn't that crazy? <laughs> it was yeah, no, so it's, like I said, like the original lineup was around until 92, and they're still around. Uh, they became Slade 2 for a while, and... Um, yeah, in the 70s, you wouldn't know they were glam unless it's just look alone, I think. Uh, top hats and boas and uh, one guy dressed like he's coming out of a spaceship from the planet Zylon. Um, so in the 80s, this track that we listened to, and forgive us listeners, I don't even remember what it was now, it was total synth rock. something it was a uh, yeah that that song was great you sent me a track called uh where is it here run run away and it had the chunky guitar chord and a couple like pretty sweet riffs but then it had synth and big drums it was like it was a 12 inch mix i mean this could have been played at you know possibly an industrial club in like mm-hmm. 91 92 Absolutely, I, I was I, I was totally entertained by it. I no, I, I, I mean, I'm glad you dug that. And also, they're a band that every they're they're one of those bands that um they didn't they were really popular in the UK in the early '80s. They got very popular for a minute because of uh, Ozzy Osbourne had him play at a festival with them. And then it's one of those bands where other they were a band's band. You know what I'm saying? Right. Uh, like bands that, you know, Nirvana, Smashing Pumpkins, Sex Pistols, The Clash, uh, Cheap Trick, The Replacements, they all brought up that they were fans of Slade. So so some song titles. The Whole World's Gone Crazy. How Do You Ride? Uh, Mama, one, We're All Crazy Now. That uh, was a hit. Mama, yeah. We're All Crazy Now was a hit. They, they, they do a let, let the Good Times Roll. They do, a, they do, they do that. Um, I, I don't think that's the same one. Uh, oh, okay. Kill him no. in the at the hot club tonight. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, but but uh, Mama We're All Crazy Now is a hit. Um, there's a great if you look up one song, listeners. There is a song. I really I like this album more than Eric. There's a song in there called Goodbye Goodbye. It's spelled G U D B U Y. Listen to that song. That's the song off this album to listen to. I sent that song to my dad who I've mentioned before is kind of just a 
dad likes the blues rock. He's not a blues hammer guy. He likes the more even he, but a dad likes something in between authentic blues and Steve Ray Vaughan somewhere in the middle. But this song, <laughs> this song, goodbye, goodbye. I sent it to him and he dug it and he started digging into Slade's history. And, uh, he sent me, he sent me some kind of text about like, he was like, Oh my goodness. Some people think that this guy was, uh, he might've swung both ways. Oh, where did they get that idea? And I was like, Oh dad, you know, it's glad the scene for he was you. in. Yeah, the, scene, the scene he was in. Come on, buddy. It's not that big of a deal. That's the, that wasn't slander. That definitely wasn't slander. Listen, so my, uh, my, the my listeners next night, will appreciate your dad's taste in music. Uh, politics, yeah. that's another conversation. It's, it's very interesting. Yes, he has a he is an interesting fellow. You can't pin him down. But I can tell you my next thing I'm gonna do is send him a copy of Velvet Goldmine and make him watch it. Um, you know, I've never seen that. Never watched it. And so we better yeah, do that for the show. We might need to do it for this show. It's a great yeah. movie. It it uh, definitely touches on some of the topics that we've discussed. So that's Slade, Party Animals, Slade. And now we're going to go right into another group of party animals who I don't think they're glam. Uh, they're, they're tangential to glam, to glam rock. When I think of them, I think more of punk rock. New York Dolls. New York Dolls are glam in the sense, in, in aesthetics only. <laughs> yeah, uh, yes. Yeah, they were all Aste- aesthetics, aesthetics only, and I can tell they're, they might be fans of Little Richard. And Little Richard kind of, a, he's a distant godfather of glam, I'd it's say. It's true. Yeah, he was he was definitely a dandy highwayman, a, a flamboyant, uh, uh, you know, key pounder. Um, <laughs> anyways, uh, New York Dolls um, are... Very uh, super interesting band. So you've got <clears throat> you got this like scene that's coming in New York here in the late '60s, early '70s. You've got the Velvet Underground that's driving it, and this whole like Factory Records like you can bring in this like noisy jazz sound to rock, and uh, everybody's on drugs anyways, um, and so they're 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 really into it. And uh, New York Dolls took this like aesthetic of glam rock and this loud, just boisterous um, punk sound. But it wasn't, when you hear it now, it's not just punk. It, it definitely has a loud, noisy edge to it. I mean, I think I think it honestly has a timeless sound. I, I love the sound of the New York Dolls. But it's got a, yeah, it, it definitely has like a throwback nostalgia feel to the 50s. Um, and it has some something else, and I think that something else is definitely glam. Um, you've got the singer, uh, who's David Johansson, uh, who would um, who just has this full throated, uh, belligerent uh, delivery. Belligerent, perfect, perfect, Bel- belligerent, definitely. Yeah, it's uh, and maybe that's where I'm going with the punk thing because he definitely he's not singing, he's shouting. Yes, yes. Um, you have Richard Hell in there. You have uh, at some point Peter Chris from from Kiss was a member 
They uh, Todd Rundgren produced their first cu- their first album. They only had a couple oh, albums. It's, hey, hey, man, hey, hey! Don't bury the goddamn lead here. Guitarist Johnny Thunders. Johnny Thunders is what I was going to end with. Of course, you got to end. You got to end strong. <clears throat> Johnny Thunders. They're just they just had a huge sound, and I really we listened to the self titled album, and I've heard it before, but strangely enough, I never gave it. Uh, I, I I was always uh, enamored by. The New York Dolls, but tying it now into glam, I really appreciate. They 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 brought the the noisy riffage uh, that's kind of absent from some of this other stuff. This uh, this unpolished like yeah fuck it we'll finish a song or we won't finish a song who the fuck cares kind of attitude. <laughs> uh, well, and, and, and maybe that's uh, I think they're the only American band we're talking about tonight. And yes, uh, you're right. They're they're definitely the rawest of all these bands. Yeah, this is a record I've always owned. I, I own this record. I bought it because I was like, I need to have this in my collection. I don't put it on all the time, but I've always owned it. Did, did, did you own it already? I did not. I did not own, own this one. It's one I've heard a few times, though. Uh, did you know that uh, David Bowie's Earl Slick uh, toured with them in a later incarnation? Just let me That sounds know. about right on, yeah. on, on some level. That sounds about right. He looks yeah. like one of them. Oh, but there's so many good songs. I mean, every song is just some kind of like gutter topic. You have pills, trash, bad girls, subway train. Uh, I, I personal favorite of mine is the opener, Personality Crisis. Uh, the song Frankenstein is fucking amazing. Lonely Planet Boy is very pretty until it's not. It's a it's a cool album. Yeah, the um, Personality Crisis is good. Subway Train is a good song. I also enjoyed Trash. Um, and they're definitely you're you're gonna find shades of their own influences on this record, even though it sounds incredibly raw. the The album cover is iconic. It's the band the dressed up to look as very as feminine as they can, and the name of the band is written in uh, lipstick. Um, that's it's yeah. No, they're they're pretty good. They're not my favorite out of all the bands we're talking about. Uh, I do like them just because I draw a direct line to early Guns N' Roses from New York Dolls. And uh, we all know, yeah, we, we know I love my GNR. And I would say, so. I would say, uh, I mean, there's something to be said for um, just what they were doing. They, 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 it was slightly more, um, it was definitely slightly more rock than the Ramones, which is around the same time. Um, they had to be. They had to be hanging out. There's something yeah. going on that's yeah, similar that between was the, the two. York, of them. Yeah, New York. But um, I don't know. It was a little bit more brash, and um, uh, and there's some riffs on this album that could fit on any of these other bands. So I can kind of see that it's just noisier, and they get kind of it's more, they get kind of bored of the riffs a little faster <laughs> than some of these other bands. Um, so, uh, anyways, and, uh, you know, you can, if you like them, you can always follow up, uh, and listen to a little Buster Poindexter's, uh, Hot Hot Hot. Some of you older kids may remember this, uh, about 15 years ago, as a matter of fact, I was in a band called the New York Dolls. Now look at some of these outfits. I mean, we used to wear some really outrageous clothes. You know, these heavy metal bands in L.A. don't have the market cornered on wearing their mother's clothes. So now, like, I'm into this really refined and dignified kind of a situation. I'm playing music that's so soft and sweet. I mean, you can sit by the fireplace and listen to it. You can have a little glass of wine, maybe, or you could even have dinner with this music. Come on, I'll show you. 
you know. It's true. <laughs> um, so that takes us. So we've talked about Mark Mullen. We've talked about Roxy Music. We've talked about Slade. We've talked about New York Dolls. And the last band we're going to go uh, a little in depth about tonight is Sweet. And for me, they were the uh, sweet surprise of this whole endeavor. I ended up liking this. I, I had no opinion really one way or the other. Um, they, they are a British glam band from the early 70s. They, they, they formed in 1968. They started out as kind of like a band kind of being the monkeys. And then they decided to just really go for the rock and roll sound, kind of uh, influenced by the Who but I mean, I most well know. I, I knew of Sweet mainly because I don't know how many times we're going to mention Wayne's World in this podcast in the last few episodes. But Tia Carrere's Tia Carrere's band, A Crucial Taunt from Wayne's World, covered uh, Ballroom Blitz, which is one of their big hits. I think that's I think that's important because we just talked about Tin Machine and and you talked about how they sounded like Tin Machine sounded like Crucial Taunt. But actually, Crucial Top is probably better. But just in the sense that it was like it was like a very like '90s version of what glam rock should sound like. Um, but uh, so when that Ballroom Blitz came on, I was mildly entertained, recognizing the Crucial Top version, until I realized like, oh shit, this is this song is this song wails. Like this is a great great song. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, the album we listened to is Desolation Boulevard, and this album. I was really impressed with. I thought that from the start to finish, it was a really great uh, glam rock al- album. It's it kind of got a touch of what Slade's doing, not in where every song is about partying, but it is more in your face. But the production is also very clean on this record, and I really liked it. I liked it a lot. Uh, Desolation Boulevard. I would say that out of all these Roxy music and desolation Boulevard, it'll probably go into my rotation. I was uh, nice. re- really, really impressed with it. Um, they're just, uh, they, they're a four piece and there's not a whole lot going on. It's kind of like cheap trick style rock and roll. You've probably heard uh, another hit they had was Fox on the Run. And um, I was really impressed with it. Eric, how'd you feel about this record? 
Yeah, so, what, like I said, like, the first track is Ballroom Blitz, so I'm like, oh, okay, like, kind of novelty-wise, and then I'm like, alright, this, they were, like, imagine if you didn't, if Wayne's World didn't exist, and this was the first track on the rack, this is killer. And then, as it went on, I got a little, like, I, I had a couple moments where it was, like, Slater, I was like, okay, this is maybe for somebody else, it's a little, it's a little, uh, thick, um, it's a little, it's a little dull, and then like a crazy synth line comes out of nowhere, or like a witty lyric comes out of nowhere. I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. this is better than I did. Like, and I got sucked in and just got through the whole album that way. Like every, like every time, it just seemed like a bare bones, um, like rock lick. Like they threw something extra in there. Like I never got off the hook. I guess is what I'm saying. Like I enjoyed it all the way through. I found a few different versions of this album, so I don't even know. It. Like, there's a few albums, a few with the uh, bonus tracks that might have been off other records. I'm not sure, but some of the songs that really jumped out at me, either off Desolation Boulevard or maybe one of their other albums, was uh, the Sixteens. It's a great track. A song called "No You Don't," and no, uh, Nine Chanels didn't cover that years later. <laughs> and another track called "Set Me Free." If you listen to those three. You those are, get those are all on the on the album. Yeah. Well, no, they're on the one we listen to, but I don't know if that's. I, I don't know if you look at that album and then you look. There's other releases of the album with completely different track listings, so okay. I, I don't know. But either way, those three songs are great. I thought "Sweet" was a great discovery. I think that uh, they 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 were really they they were really around in the '70s, and then uh, they became uh, different. The, the, the bands, the different members broke up and toured with their own versions of Sweet, but they haven't released an album since 1982. So, that well, is We sweet. just gotta get Frankie Sharp from Sharp Records to find them and put out something yeah. new. <laughs> <laughs> ah. uh, so anyhow, that, that's, that's your brief overview of the genre. We didn't even scratch the surface. Uh, we don't have enough time to, to dig any deeper because, my God, we're trying to talk about so many other albums and movies and whatever else but hopefully we gave you a starting point or a place for you to correct us feel free we don't we're not going to get offended no we like it yeah. yeah we like it put us in our place no other i mean eric loves being 
uh, critiqued. That's why he stays married to his wife. <laughs> That's right. Classic masochist. Yeah. Exactly. And he, he gets off on that. Put him in his place. <laughs> Just put the, yeah, put the, put the ball in my mouth and tell me why I'm wrong. Exactly. Oh, right. <laughs> um, since I'm, ed- since I'm editing this one, I will start to think of going to leave that in there. Um, <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah. So we may have even another B-side before Ziggy Stardust. That's a big one. And I'm still working on my reverse engineered uh, storyline uh, of, of Ziggy Stardust, which you'll all enjoy. Sure we will. <laughs> well, actually, let's, let's take it. You know, Ziggy Stardust, as we leave, is a culmination of so much of what we talked about tonight. I mean, let's think, let's, let's think about it. If you break down... If you take uh, the songs about partying and the funny outfits and some of the reverb and then uh, some of the guitar wizardry of Mark Bolin and then some of Roxy Music's R&B touches and their space flair and then even some of the New York Dolls uh, guttural stuff going on, you know, like on your Suffragette City. If you add all the bands we talked about tonight together, you will get Ziggy Stardust, the album. It's true. Like Everything we talked about tonight kind of contributes to what you know, that's what David Bowie did was he took he took all the ingredients that maybe other bands were doing and he made a perfect stew. The difference in this case is that he might have been right behind Mark Bolin, but he was still at the forefront of this scene. Right. He was basically saying, like, I'm going to tell a story about the end of the world and who's going to save you from that. And you know who's going to save you from that? The lead singer of Sweet, the lead singer of Slade, Mark Bolin. That's who's going to save you and uh, created his character. So there you go. And uh, maybe I'll disagree with what uh, Eric's storyline is, but that's good enough for now. Ha! So, uh, Eric, it's late. Um, are you going to go check on Mark, or is it my turn? I was there earlier today. Um, I, you know, I gave him a hug. I tried to play some puzzles with him, see if his brain was, he was just, he's just, he's still, he's still kind of in a vegetative state. Have you, have you tried playing any U2 for him? No, God. You should show up there with, uh, with Actung or Joshua Tree or something and, and just and just really see if he... No, out. you know, to crack this code, I'm just going to put lemon on repeat. That'll do it. I think that should probably take care of it. Yeah. We'll find out next time on Pod Like a Hole. Until then, we'll see if we can bring Mark closer to Pod. Pod. <laughs>